0: Beautiful people, this is Kenny B.
1: You already know what your girl love. And Melly Mel.
0: And you are listening to Black, Black on, on the Proud. Proud on 88.5 WCUG Cougar Radio. So today's episode, we'll be focusing on mental health. And we have a very special guest in our virtual studio, Miss Tomiko Whittlesey, who is a licensed clinical social worker associate and licensed clinical addiction specialist associate. How you doing, Tamika?
2: I am doing good. I'm so happy to be here with you guys in this virtual um, studio that we got here. (laughs) We are glad to have you. Yes.
0: We are glad to have you. So today, as I said, we'll be talking about um, mental health, especially with the Black uh, community. Uh, For my fact attack today, I have a couple of statistics about, um, you know, mental health in the Black community. So according to the National Alliance of Mental Illness in a 2018 study it showed that 63% of African Americans believe that a mental health c- condition is a sign of weakness and according to the American Psychiatric Association in 2017 only 10% of black females and only 6% of black men use mental health services so we really need to get into this topic and talk about you know why so, so much of a, a stigma against ment- mental health in the Black community and what we can do to kind of, you know, right that wrong.
1: Wow. Those are those are shocking statistics, but also, I believe it.
0: Yep, I believe it. So it didn't people, take me for surprise.
1: I've heard so many people that believe that mental health isn't a real thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll say it for me personally, because I've, I've personally seen it and I've been around it, like, mental health is real, y'all. Mm-hmm. Like, it mm-hmm. is... And it's not a weakness, but we don't get into
3: that.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm gonna go ahead and switch it over to Mel because Mel got some questions that she wanna ask because she is really into this topic.
3: Hi. Okay, so Tamika, I have a couple questions for you. Um okay. just to start it off, what do you actually do and what made you want to go into this field?
2: What I do is I am a licensed mental health clinician and I help people gain control over their mental health symptoms that's causing them emotional distress and problems within their professional, peer or personal relationships. Um, I ask questions to gain additional insight into their main concerns, listening to how it affects their everyday lives. Um, I use this information along with background info regarding like their biological health, social experiences Mm -hmm. and any other relevant info to make a formal diagnosis. From there, I collaborate with them and other health providers or family members, dependent on the person. And I formulate goals to reflect on how they wish to solve those presenting problems that they have um, come to me with. And I help and treat their and manage their mental health symptoms along the way. Um, depending on a person on a person's individual needs, I may meet with them as frequently as once or twice a week. And use what we refer to as evidence based treatment models such as cognitive behavioral therapy to get down to the nitty-gritty of just what's going on and to aid in the process Mm -hmm. of therapy. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do in kind of like a nutshell. Um, (laughs) uh, What made me go into the field is that I just always had this personal curiosity of why people were the way they were and how certain things affect people differently. Mm -hmm. Um, I found myself even at a young age, um, just reading and learning about how our brains operate and how we just process just different experiences. Um, This is like what naturally just led me into the field of psychology and mental health. And that's ultimately what I studied in undergrad. Um, additionally to this, um, I've always just kind of like just been this motherly type of helper person. You know, I'm a cancer. That's my zodiac sign. <laughs> um, so I've always just had this role or this need to like just nurture and console and to advocate. And it's something that always has come just very naturally to me. So when I found out that I could do this as a profession, as a mental health clinician, I went straight towards it and I didn't look back. And that's what's led me here today, as a um, licensed clinical um, social worker associate.
3: Well, that's actually that's okay. really amazing. Um, so, okay, so my next question is, is as you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Let me, let me say that one more time. We are still in the middle of a pandemic.
1: <laughs> yes. Say for the people in the back, one more time. <laughs> one more
3: Hey guys, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> with that being said, <laughs> right. what are some ways we can stay positive during this time?
2: Okay. I want to take a couple step backs. So um, I know that everyone kind of, like, wants to, like, pull out the positivity regarding the pandemic, but I think that, first, in order to get to that, we kind of have to just realize um, just the realities of what we're dealing with in this pandemic, um, mm-hmm. and the realities is that it's not so positive. Um, the yeah. emotional distress and the grief of loved ones passing away, um, this the anxiety of catching COVID and just the overall fear of the unknown has as, as individuals just not really on our um, A game and we're not performing our quote unquote best because it's just that real out here. So to identify that piece, we can begin to normalize that it is difficult in this space that we're in right now. And by doing that, we can begin to offer ourselves some grace. This grace comes in that we're not going to be able to do things as quick. We're going to be able to do that paper and as quickly as you used to do you're not going to be able to um, work and complete tasks like you used to just because of the mental and emotional distress that comes from us being in this pandemic because it's impacting us mentally and emotionally when we start Mm -hmm. to offer ourselves that grace we begin to lessen the unrealistic expectations that we place on ourselves and we then can start to give ourselves just round of applauses and pats on the back just for making it through the day. you know, Just getting through the day and being able to say that I made it through the day is huge. Um, We're able to remind ourselves that despite all the bad things that are coming along with this pandemic, we are still here. And we are also able to practice gratitude. And with that, that's a positive reflection of what we have in that moment. By doing that, that is how we stay positive. Positivity does not have to be monolithic. It it we can have this duality of knowing that we are still going through this hard time and it sucks. And at the same time, be thankful that we're still working. Thankful that, you know, that we still have um our family members near to us. Um um, find the little joys and just to like go to work in your PJs or do your classes in your PJs (laughs) appreciate not having to spend money on gas to work um, that's where the positivity comes into place and that's how we can begin to see things in a more positive light is by um, accepting that what we are experiencing is real lessening those expectations giving ourselves the pat on the back and then offering and um, practicing that gratitude
0: Yes, I will say that as a truth, because I have been saving a lot of money on gas, and -hmm. that is a very bright side. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Like a dollar. Lots of money. Uh, I'm so, like, this is just a good day. Like, I just, uh, (laughs) because, I mean, and because she's just such a positive person, like, I already knew you were a positive person and but I'm just uh, I'm inspired like the sun started shining just a little brighter when she was talking I'm
2: <laughs> See there you go right there just just practicing just being appreciative of just the little things
1: the little things okay. Definitely so, being in college trying to deal with all this
3: mm-hmm. Yeah I mean it's definitely its definitely different for those like for all of us, I know that we're sophomores of college, so our freshman experience was completely different than what we were going into this year. Mm-hmm. I feel like we might be at the same school, but like, I don't know. I kind of feel like we're kind of training ourselves as freshmen again, like going through this year because it's so new to us. And so different what we were taught in the beginning. But I feel like we're all adapting pretty well. To some, I don't know I'm not going to say all of us, but most mm-hmm. of Yes.
0: Yeah, some folks are doing yeah, better
3: yeah. than others. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it sucks because, like, sometimes you just have to distance yourself from certain friends who want to go out and don't realize we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Or they do, but they want to venture out and still do the things that they used to do, and that's that's their decision. But but your decision doesn't have to be the same as theirs. If, if you are taking your if you're taking your own health into consideration and you're saying that you don't want to go out, then that, that's what you do. You do what's best for you. Don't sit here and try to force somebody to do something that they don't want to do. They're going to do it regardless. But that's boundaries. <laughs> the next question that I have uh, kind of goes back to the facts that Kenny had mentioned earlier. How can we break that mental health barrier in the community of of colors?
2: So it may sound cliche but it's just by just simply like what you guys are doing and what we're doing right now is talking about it talking about mental health and being transparent and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable is essentially the first step and when i say talk talk about it i don't mean like just standing in target and telling the person next to you like all your business and yada yada and how it's (laughs) affecting you like no don't do that (laughs) I mean talk about it with like friends and family who have gained your trust and in return when they talk to you and they come to you about things that are affecting their mental health that you listen to it and you really are empathetic to their experiences that's the first step because simply talking about it in um, communities of color is still a taboo subject for many different reasons um right now, I believe that we are in coming into this new kind of um, phase, if you will, where we are becoming as a community, as um, a black community to more talking about it and talking about it in a way that people don't feel as shamed as they did when maybe like our parents were growing up or you know, our parents were um, experiencing college and experiencing life as young adults. Um, so right now, by us having that conversation, we are already breaking, um, commun- we're, we're already breaking in barriers. Um, additionally, I believe that the next step to break barriers and ab- is just to advocate for mental health clinicians of color so that they can serve our communities. Yes. Mental health in general is controlled by capitalism. And what I mean by that is that it is all about the dollars. It's all about the money. Um, there are providers and communities of pro- there are organized, what we call um, managed organizations or providers in communities of color that are not willing to invest in the money that it takes to effectively treat mental health in our communities, which means that because they're not investing in money, clinicians are not gonna get paid their fair wages, and they themselves are becoming overwhelmed with the large caseloads and not able to provide the adequate care. So, this causes a trickle down effect because it prevents a barrier, it, prevent, it, it causes a barrier, and it deters qualified mental health providers from taking on jobs in communities that need it the most. Um, so on a structural level, it creates this barrier because these individuals and in communities of color that are going out and seeking treatment, they are not getting an optimal care due to these clinicians, because of capitalism, are becoming overwhelmed and are having these high caseloads where they're not able to adequately uh, provide the, the the care that is needed. And on opposite end, these individuals that are living in communities of color, they hear about that going on. So they're having to travel to um, adjacent communities just to receive the treatment, which provides a barrier because now you're having to s- schedule more, um, figure out how it's gonna fit into your schedule. Do you have the patient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, on that type of level um, affecting, I'm sorry, affecting, electing officials that see the importance of mental health in communities of color and um, people of power or stakeholders in that community who are willing to invest in mental health, that is another way that we can break the barrier and we can um, ensure that our community gets the treatment that we deserve.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree with the statement that, it definitely needs to be talked about more which i feel i feel like our generation has done a very good job as far as trying to normalize a lot of things that previously weren't where like mm-hmm. you know I talk to older black people and you know some older black people they're like your generation is just so sensitive and it's like it's not something that we're sensitive it's more so the fact that younger people now are getting to the point where they are more comfortable addressing how they feel where previously I feel like it's always been a situation where it's the elephant in the room and it's like, everybody knows it's there, but nobody addresses it. And it's kind of like, all right, it's just, it is what it is. But I feel like our generation is really amazing in trying to break that barrier of no, this is how I feel. And I want to address my feelings because if you, when you don't address your feelings, I feel like a lot of people, don't understand like yeah it might be uncomfortable to address your feelings in certain situations but not addressing it hurts you more than it hurts the other person Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know i agree with that because i think part of it it starts at the um really it starts at home when you say it has to be normalized to talk about it because you know i was fortunate enough my mom we have a relationship where you know if i'm going through something i can talk to her about it and uh vice versa but it's a lot of households where you know the you you might be a teenager or something, you say that you're stressed, and the parents like, you don't know what stress is. You don't got to pay no bills. You don't got no car this, that, and the third. But the fact is, and it's unfortunate that it is, but school is stressful. Even at, you know, the middle and high school uh, level, it's very stressful. And it's important that even at those ages, um, that it's not being ignored, you know, mental health is. And I feel like that's one thing. And uh, just, if you could talk about it just a little bit, um, I would say the disconnect when it comes to mental health um, on the school level, because I know a lot of schools, you may have one counselor who has to look over all the kids and has to look at their stuff for college, mental health, right. and disciplinary. And then even here at Columbus state, our um, counseling center is understaffed and just went through another budget cut with, uh, with everything going on with COVID. They had another budget cut. And uh, I know last year they had dozens of kids on the waiting list for, um you know, to get sessions in. So if you could just talk a little bit about the disconnect with the education system and mental health.
2: Yes, exactly. And that kind of goes back to the capitalism and the money situation that I was talk- talking about there. They, there's, there's not, there's already uh, not enough just money to fuel just um health services in general. So mental health is just kind of like scraping up whatever we can get. And mm-hmm. when it comes to school systems You know, school systems are already scraping up the money that they can get just to provide the basic needs that they have for their students. So mental health is the last thing on their list. And like you spoke about, you have counselors that are providing care for 500 to 1,000 kids or even, you know, more, and they are not adequately able to, they're not able to provide the needed um, care to all of those students. And it, it comes down to funding. People don't see mental health as beneficial because of like we explained earlier, there's that taboo regarding it. And also it's the idea that, you know, well, I mean, they're just kids. They're, you know, resilient, they'll get through it, but if you know anything about you know mental health, a lot of what we experience as adults is due to what we experience as kids. Like literally anything that you have um, an issue with kind of in your present right now life, it can be taken all the way back to some sort of experience or encounter or something that's happened in childhood. So with that being said, it's very, very necessary to, um, to provide care, advocacy, treatment to children because they are going through a lot and they are the most vulnerable. They do not have the same access to care and treatment that we adults do. They are dependent on their family or their adults in their lives, their caregivers to provide them with that care. So by not having those resources in the school system where they're at, you know, eighty percent of their time—that really affects them, and it um, it just adds to um, the strain and the stress that just we as a society experience. And of course, um, communities of color, where we have less resources than anybody, we are we are on the back end of it all. And you know, statistically, communities of color, we have the most we we are suffering the most trauma just because of just all of this racial disparities, um, our communities, et cetera, et cetera generational trauma. So it's it's very um harmful to not have mental health resources for, for us and very debilitating.
3: It's a lot to take in. Um, it
0: is. It really yeah.
3: is. Because it's kinda like it it's sitting there and I know when we had our meeting like before this to talk about this show I saw what we were going to do writing like these questions um it's kind of like getting a sl- like not a slap at the face but like it's like I was asking these questions and I was interested but personally I didn't know what the answers were and what to expect so like hearing it is what it's what's needed to be heard But I don't feel like a lot of people are ready to hear it, (laughs) if you understand
1: Yeah, I get what you're saying.
0: It really is uh, crazy, as you said, that um, And even when I was looking at my statistic before the show, uh, one of them was saying that, you know, basically there's so many, you know, black people that you have who are in, you know, low income uh, situations, which can provide a whole new level of stress Mm -hmm. and anxiety that is on top of just, you know, regular just, you know, ups and downs of life. It's almost like you're always down, you know, and I feel like that on its own causes such a um, mental strain on somebody, which is why, like like you say, it's just so important that we're really acknowledging these issues and we're trying to really get rid of that stigma. So it's not just carrying all this weight on on your back by yourself and feeling like you can't, you know, go outside and get help from someone else, Um, especially just on a mental, you know, standpoint, making sure that you're all right in that mental sense. Uh, with all the stress that it just exists for being black. And even right now, I say outside of just, um, you know, everything going on with the pandemic, but with the actual movement, with Black Lives Matter, um, there's a lot more tension going on and a lot more um, anxiety when it comes down to police relations. Because I know I haven't ever been, and fortunately I've never been pulled over, but I know a lot of people who have, and they. I actually just talked to a friend yesterday who said she was pulled over, and um, unfortunately, she actually witnessed her um, a family member um, dying due to police brutality. Mm-hmm. So she was pulled over, and she said she was just shaking and crying, and the police officer just pulled over for a taillight. And he, and he was a black officer who was like, you know, he was w- one of the good ones, you, you you can say, but that's a lot of stress by itself in, in, in that sense as well, just, you know, being black in America, Yeah. yeah. even before, yeah. you know, it's, Corona it's- and everything else happened.
2: We, we are we as black people we experience just trauma on a whole nother level what you said um the police brutality is happening right now the races you know just the images that every time we scroll on social media we're seeing you know another person shot by the police we're seeing the video of somebody being shot by the disease police we're seeing somebody detained that's that's trauma right there. And that's images that are um, triggering that, that traumatic exp- response that, we're, that we have, whether we know it uh, consciously or not. And we are dealing with that on top of dealing with COVID-19, on top of the racial uh, relations that are interwoven into this election that, we're, that, that we have going on. All of these different things We are experiencing that as black people. And then when you talk about communities of color that do not receive their same resources that their counterparts do, you're talking about additional levels of stress that they're dealing with. If you're um, if you ever taken um, psychology like one on one or a basic psychology course, you may know of Manslow's hierarchy of needs and the very basic level is kind of like the sense of security Mm -hmm. you have your food your water a place to stay you're not able to even um, reach any of those different levels which is like actualization um, self-acceptance awareness all of that stuff you're not Mm -hmm. able to really delve into those situations unless you don't have those basic needs so when you're talking about somebody that's maybe living in a community of color where they've lost their job because of COVID-19 and now they're on the street. They got kids that they gotta feed and they're dealing, they don't know where their next mill are going to come from. They are ex- experiencing even more stress and trauma on addition to all these other things. And the mental resources that they may have in their communities, they are equipped to treat, you know, the generational trauma that they may be experiencing, or you know, the PTSD from the experiencing um, all of the images on the social media. But they don't have the necessities to deal with just the natural resources of I don't got no water, I don't have any food to eat, those mm-hmm. different things. And that's another way where there's that disparity in the treatment that's provided to communities of color. A lot of times we don't even have that basic necessity, and we are fighting those stressors, dealing with those different things, as well as dealing with just the generational trauma, the, um, the present trauma of just being Black in America.
0: It's yeah. a lot. Yeah, and it's so interesting you brought up um, the hierarchy of needs, because I actually, I'm not a psychology major or a psychologist or anything like that. But um, being both, you know, an actor and a story writer, I actually have, you know, done a lot of studying in psychology, especially with, like, behavioral, as far as how humans interact with each other. And um, I actually came across uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, and I came across that to write stories that were dramatic and relatable. And a lot of other writers do, do the same thing, and it's kind of crazy that, that you you kind of brought it up, because you have some people who are living through situations that people are Writing stories for TV on, you know, and this is some people's real life. And even and you watch TV, you see so so much crazy stuff, and you're like, this could never happen in real life. But there's people who really live through that same. Oh yes, it the can. Same, a similar situation, you know. Right. And Where
2: do you think that those um those um stories come from? Exactly it comes from those situations. Mm-hmm. Like, you're definitely right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really um, just a, a great point that you hit on. That you know, it's people who are living through these situations that you never really really would um, think about. Like you said, someone with everything going on right now, you may have lost your job and are living on the street. And you just like a year ago had, you know, a place to live. And you knew that your check was coming, and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, just a few months later, the whole world is turned upside down. And one thing me and my mom actually talked about um, early in like May, when all the protests and things started kind of popping off, um, was that, with the strain of COVID-19 already, and then on top of that, you still have all the systematic racism and police brutality going on. It was just too much for some people. And I feel like that's one of the real reasons that this time around, because it's been happening for, you know, years and years, but this time around, it really was such a push to, you know, you know, I'm tired of this, you know. And I feel like that's one of those good things that I will say kind of have come out of this year is that we said enough is enough. (laughs) And we showed it.
2: yeah. Oftentimes we a lot whether it's like in our individual lives or as, as a community, we have to come to that period where we it's kind of like we hit rock bottom. And like you mentioned, we've we've definitely well, we've been at rock bottom for a while. This right here was just kind of like we done we it's 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 just too much. And that was kind of, you know, what is spearheading the, a lot of the change and the discover having just because as a society. We've, we've really hit in a sense rock bottom just due to just all of the, the collective trauma and things going on right now.
1: Yeah, I'll say for me what I'm, what I'm trying to do to like put out more of a positive vibe, it's just you know, like saying we're at rock bottom right now. Once you hit rock bottom, the only way you can go is up. And that's what I'm hoping is going to happen in our society and, you know, for everybody individually, like once you hit rock, like you can't get any lower than rock bottom. So hopefully, like even if you have to hit rock bottom, hopefully once you hit it, you're you can only go up from that point.
0: Exactly.
2: Right. And that's that that is a lot of times when I have um, people come to see me and they're experiencing, um, you know, a recent traumatic or experiences and they're just having a rough time that's the same type of mantra that I would use is just you know it's it's it it hurts right now it's hard right now and it's tough right now but this is this is the extreme it's not going to get harder than this it's only going to go up is it going to get bad yeah there's going to be some bad days it's going to come but right here this this level of pain and suffering that you're experiencing right now it's not going to get harder than this it's only going to go up
3: Alrighty. My next question, what's the differences between depression and anxiety? Like how can you tell the difference between the two?
2: Depression and anxiety, they're um, what we call kind of like cousins because they have a lot of just similar symptomology. But to start with depression, depression is this overwhelming, just kind of like um, sense of just extreme sadness. Um, This overwhelming just feeling of unhappiness, this deep level of despair. Um, Symptoms of depression, of course, are the depressed mood, where it's just not just you having a bad day, it's you having bad days. And this depressed mood just has you just feeling so in the pit of despair or where it's just like, it's just everlasting. Um, you also start to, when you're in this, um, period of depression, you start to lose interest in things that you used to love doing. So if you used to be somebody that used to love, um, going out and hanging out with friends, you find yourself just not having the motivation to do that anymore. You have that lack of interest. Um, depression causes changes in appetite. So you may because of this overwhelming feeling of despair and um depressed mood you may feel the need of that you just can't eat you don't have an appetite or on the opposite end to kind of like because you feel so empty um you may feel the need to just indulge in just food just because you know you you just don't have any you just feel so so empty inside in regards to just what you're feeling um People that have depression, um, they have um, insomnia, so they may not be able to sleep. Um, They may find themselves like waking up um, periodically throughout the night, or on the opposite end, they just find themselves just sleeping all day long. It's like an extreme. It's either one thing or another. Other symptoms of depression is lack of energy. You just have that, that fatigue that just... Causes you to not feel like you just don't want to do anything. It's not that you're being lazy It's just that you just do not have the motivation. The motivation is just not there at all You're just so completely drained and you're just so burnt out that you don't have any type of emotion I mean, I'm sorry emotion Not any type of energy to do anything you also when you have depression, you have this immersed feeling of guilt and shame that accompan- accompanies it. Um, you you may feel guilty over um, you may f- what triggers your depression could be that your uh, parent or a loved one died. And you may feel this immersed feeling of guilt because you didn't answer their calls and you was avoiding them. And those feelings come with depression. Um, Also think of depression as all of these negative thoughts kind of infiltrate your mind and you're not able to see the positive in anything just because there's just a cloud of just darkness within yourself. That's kind of what depression is. On the opposite end, what anxiety is, anxiety is think of your body um, kind of just being in it's flight or flight response um, all the time. Flight or flight response meaning that you are, you, you've perceived this threat that's within your environment, whether it's real or it's not real. And it's causing you to just always have your guard up and just being vigilant. So you may find yourself just, you know, you always are kind of like just, ready to fight, you're just in an irritable mood. You're just already in attack mode because you're just hyper diligent. Um on the opposite end, because you have this perceived threat that again could be uh, realistic or it could be just in your mind. You're always worrying what is the you know about something. You're worrying about, you know, thinking worst case scenario. You also just like depression, you can have fatigue, and more so you have the mental fatigue with anxiety because your brain is just constantly going. You're constantly just kind of just thinking, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? You're constantly just um, playing out just different worst case scenarios in your mind. It just causes you just to have just mental fatigue where you're just tired, mentally tired. And this mental fatigue, in turn, it causes you to have lapses in memory and have difficulty concentrating because your brain is just constantly just going, going, going. It, it you just can't focus. So, um, when you think of depression, think of kind of more so um, depressive thoughts, um, feelings of um, what is the word of an. Adequacy, um, long periods of sadness, um, just kind of like this emptiness, and with anxiety, you're kind of just you know in that flight or flight response. So you're either hyper vigilant, and you are um, increased irritability, or you're just very fearful of the unknown, and you are um, having all of this worry, thinking worst case scenario, and you're always kind of running away from a perceived threat that's the difference between anxiety and depression
1: wow yeah i think it's important for people to know the difference between both of those Mm
3: -hmm. okay and my last and final question is oftentimes when people hear the words clinically diagnosed the first thing that comes to mind is the use of medication what other things can be done before medication is thrown into the mix
2: um, just simple, um, what we call like talk therapy, which is um, outpatient therapy can be utilized. Whether somebody is, you know, just to kind of take a step back. Um, when we say clinically diagnosed, it doesn't always have to be medication either. When you are, have a mental health diagnosis, whether it's um, depression, anxiety, bipolar 2, PTSD, etc., cetera, um, there could be. Um, Medication that could be prescribed to it based upon the severity of your symptoms, how it's affecting you, and just your your body chemistry, uh, where you need to take medication to assist you in managing it. Other people may not need that, and that does not mean that the person that needs medication is "quote unquote" stronger than a person that does not need medication. It just means that they are they're just different. Um, and that's one of the beauties of mental health is that it is person centered and it's directed at figuring out what are your needs and what do you need specifically. So, um, like I said, to answer your question, what could be done before adding in medication, um, is usually just doing the top therapy and, um, talking through, you know, what's going on and, um, implementing different things such as, um, what I was talking about earlier, you utilize an evidence-based treatment model such as mindfulness, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy to assist in the management of your mental health symptoms. And throughout the course of treatment, if there's not any significant um, changes or there's still difficulty that you have in managing your symptoms, that's when Um, your mental health provider will collaborate with either your primary care doctor or a psychiatrist to um, provide you with medication. And even with, if you do decide to have the medication provided, it is still important that you still continue to meet with um, your mental health therapist for that top therapy, because um, just as, as, if um, somebody that has diabetes, they just can't rely on the insulin to um, to manage their diabetes. They have to take a holistic approach by incorporating exercise, diet, etc. That's the same way with mental health. You cannot just um, rely just on the mental health medication. You have to have that other um, aspect of that talk therapy so that you can talk through your experiences, talk through your stressors, talk to any trauma that you're experiencing. so that it's a collaborative approach.
1: We're listening, but it's like, yeah, you really, you really have to take a second and process.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Information that you're giving. Cause it's like, okay, let me like, take a second. Really let that sink in. Yep. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. But no, that was, uh, See, I have good ideas. I just I just want to throw it out. I was like, we have to do a mental health episode.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm glad we did because as we just we um, continue to say it's so important for the black community because of the stigma and everything that goes along with it, and yeah. the fact that it affects us so um so much, you know it, it really is important for us to talk about this issue and uh, bring it to our audience. so um, we really do appreciate you. Uh, calling in today and really sharing your expertise and your knowledge. Cause yeah. I, I, I tell you, it's going to be so, help, so help, helpful for so many people.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. I feel like I learned a lot. Yeah. Like, honestly, I like, I feel like this was just so insightful. And, you know, like we always say, like we do this show because we love it, but we also do it because we really want to make an impact and we really want to, you know, we really want to positive, have a positive influence on who listens to this so like thank you this was really awesome and i feel like this is going to be very beneficial to a lot of people who listen to this show
3: yes thank you very 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 much for coming to talk to us today
2: yes and if any guys are very welcome thank you for um having me here and again and thank you guys for utilizing your platform to um to create dialogue like i mentioned earlier this is this is the way how we create um or not create i'm sorry remove barriers of mental health being such a taboo subject in our community so thank thank you. you yes and if you or
1: any for our listeners if you or anyone you know feels like you know you just need to talk to somebody or whatever um tamika you are doing virtual conferences
2: correct I am um, currently only licensed in North Carolina right now, but um, I do have um, information um, resources that I have on like my personal um, professional platform. So if Mm -hmm. anybody needs to check that out, um, they can do so by going to um, Tamika. That's T-A-M-E-K-A what'll see W-H-I-T-T-L-E-S-E-Y on um, Instagram. And from there there's a link to um, other pages that I have that has um, relevant information just to kind of get the conversation going and getting you um, partner up with resources that could be benefit.
1: Yes. And we will be plugging that on all of our social medias as well on the radio show's Instagram if you follow them.
0: Yeah. And then I will say for all, our, all the students here at CSU, if you are going through things as well, because as we said, this is a very, you know, uncertain time. and There's a lot of anxiety and stress right now, especially um, the Counseling Center is uh, taking walk-in appointments um, for to just see you. Um, and then from there, they can try to uh, get you to, you know, better resources. So I will say to try to um, uh, take advantage of that as well. That's something that you get free here at CSU unlike in many um, different universities. So I will say take advantage of the Counseling Center um, if you need it. Well, we uh, do appreciate you guys for listening to Black on the Prowl this Friday. You guys enjoy you all's weekend and tune back in next Friday.
3: Bye, y'all. Bye.
0: Black on the Prowl was produced by the student staff of 88.5 WCUG Cougar Radio and the CSU Department of Communications Department Chair, Dr. Gibson. Dr. Bruce Getz is WCUG's faculty advisor. You can listen to this show and other shows on 88.5 FM, TuneIn, or SoundCloud. Just search our call letters WCUG.